Welcome to today's episode 53 of Spurbs Herbs, and we are going to be talking about an exciting and important Chinese herb, Lian, Lian Chao, or Forsythia fructus, also commonly known as Forsythia fruit. That's what fructus stands for. Without further ado, let's get into today's episode. In today's episode, we will be looking at another Chinese herb, Lian Chao, or Forsythia fruit. This is a very important commonly used herb in the clear heat and resolved toxicity category, or actually subcategory of herbs. It is frequently used to treat colds, which is why it's, it's definitely something I probably use personally several times a year, just um, not necessarily to treat colds, but sometimes to prevent them as well. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. Today, we're going to talk about a different way to view herbs and supplements by looking at whole foods versus refined substances. This is a, this is a topic that I've, I've brought up a lot in my pharmacology classes, but I haven't talked about yet in these Spurbs herbs, so I thought it'd be, it's about time to talk about them. I am really looking forward to deepening my knowledge about this wonderful herb. Please join us and don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss out on even one exciting episode. Before we get into today's herb, we have today's deal. Uh, this deal we've been going on for a little bit. It's probably going to end in the near future, so uh, please uh, think about it before it's too late. Uh, and, and really what we're talking about today is my favorite course that I put together. It's called Why, Not How, Herbs Work. So I can tell you a whole bunch of hows about herbs working. This is not about that. This isn't about chemicals and and and. Chinese medical theory, it's none of that. What this is really about is why do we even why do herbs even work in the first place? It's a special course for those of us who have asked, why do herbs even help us? In other words, why do they have any effect on humans at all? We explore some really interesting territory in this course, including philosophy and the and the discourse between holism and reductionism, ecology, Gaia, including Gaia theory. Evolution, where we're going to be talking about coherent coupling and plant-human coalitions, and explain why herbs may do different things at different doses, and this is called hormesis and xenohormesis. And most importantly, we will discuss the implications of each of these on current herb research and usage. This is an amazing journey that answers fundamental questions about herbalism and is absolutely a can't-miss webinar. If you hurry, you can get this webinar for one-third off instead of $30 for this two-hour continuing education course. It is only $20. Just go to www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org. That's integrativemedicinecouncil, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org, slash Y, W-H-Y, to get this deal. Again, www.integrativemedicinecouncil.org, slash Y, and you can get a third off, save 10 bucks on this two-hour course. That, let's get into today's episode. And as I said, we're going to talk about the, the difference between whole foods and refined substances. Because I think where this came from is I think a lot of people think of herbs versus pharmaceutical, herbs and supplements versus pharmaceuticals. 
And I don't think that's the schism here. So we're going to talk about it. So I think this is a really important distinction, this idea between whole foods and refined substances. If this doesn't sound familiar with you, it's because we usually describe things in terms of pharmaceuticals versus herbs and supplements. I don't think that's correct. However, the schism between pharmaceutical drugs and herbs is a false one perpetuated by both sides of this debate, medical and research professionals on one side and complementary and alternative medical practitioners on the other side. Generally, medical doctors, with exceptions, of course, again, I'm painting with broad brush here, so please forgive that. Uh, with so medical doctors, with exceptions, are pro-pharmaceutical. That's how they're trained. That's, you know, that's what they do. I've been there. While CAM practitioners, or complementary alternative medical practitioners, are pro-supplements and herbs. And in my experience, generally anti-pharmaceuticals or at least pharmaceutical resistant. You know, when I teach my pharmacology class, man, you know, they were very open. They wanted to learn about how pharmaceuticals work, but they were, you know, dead set against pharma, dead set against pharmaceuticals. Um, and, and I always like to mention naturopaths here are interesting, at least in the United States, because I found when I was in Australia, um, naturopaths are very different in Australia than they are in the U.S. In the U.S., um, it's, uh, there's kind of two paths, but I'm talking about the doctors of naturopathy. Naturopaths are interesting here because they are well-trained on homeopathics, herbs, and supplements, but also have pharmaceutical training and prescribing ability in many states. At least I know in Washington, they have primary prescription ability. In California, where I'm at, they're uh, able to under the supervision of a medical doctor, which doesn't mean direct supervision. It means generally a phone call. Um, so they, they can actually prescribe. They can't do, at least in California, they can't do some uh, Schedule Four drugs. They can't do any of the, the um, opioids or anything like that that I'm aware of. So, um, but they can prescribe drugs. But I submit that the schism isn't between these two sides of pharmaceutical versus supplements and herbs. I don't think that's where the schism is. The real debate is about refined substances and whole foods. So let's get into this. Refined substances are those where an active ingredient or two is either taken out of a whole plant or animal or created de novo, in other words, from nothing, in a manufacturing process, then purified to the point of having no adulteration. In general, these substances work faster and harder than whole foods, but create sometimes potentially horrifying adverse effects. And psychosocially, they also per perpetuate our culture's fascination with the quick fix. I have this problem, just give me a pill, I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to know about your lifestyle, it changes, I don't want to do exercise, just give me a pill. That's the, the quick fix idea. The distinction of saying refined substances instead of pharmaceuticals is that there are a lot of quote-unquote alternative supplements that are actually refined substances, such as most vitamins and minerals on the market. When you're looking at a, at a multivitamin, it's basically let's put some vitamin C powder in with some, some vitamin E juice and, and uh, all the other powders and compress it into a pill and sell it as, a, as a, a vitamin pill or maybe let's put it into a gummy bear or maybe let's do it in a liquid, whatever it is. They're all refined substances. They are pharmaceutical substances, pharmaceutical grade and pharmaceutical produced substances. There are some exceptions. There are some brands, uh, you know, at, at least in the United States, um, I believe uh, there's, a, there's a couple um, 
Yeah, it's right on the tip of my tongue. I can picture the bottle. Um, there are a few whole food supplements, which I think kind of avoid this to a certain extent. Uh, but for the most part, vitamins in my mind are pharmaceuticals, uh, or at least refined substances that are equivalent to pharmaceuticals. Don't get me wrong. I take my multivitamin. I'm there. Just don't go overboard on them. I do not do mega dosing of my vitamins. So uh, that's because of this to a certain extent. And would you ask me, should I go with a whole food vitamin? I think ideally, yes. They also tend to be, I'm going to say 10 times, maybe 15 times the price of the other vitamins. And maybe there's some benefit or maybe not. There hasn't been research on that. So I don't know about that. But, and there aren't side effects with most of these vitamins if you don't over, you know, take them at mega doses. So I, I tend to say, okay, but it is a refined substance. As in all things, there is yin and yang, good and bad on using these refined substances. So again, I'm not against refined substances. I'm just saying, let's go into it with full knowledge and full thought. Whole foods, in contrast, are not refined and include the complete food as a source of nutrition and therapy. This is not to say they cannot be extracted or concentrated, but the whole herb is extracted or concentrated, not a single or handful constituents of that herb. And this is actually brings up something that, to me, kind of takes our whole foods and makes them refined substances. There are lots of manufacturers out there who say, oh, look at this herb. This is an important herb. The main ingredient in this herb is blah, blah, blah. So what we're going to do is we are going to process, we're going to standardize, that's the language they use, standardize on that sub, that constituent and make sure that constituent is, is consistent throughout all the all our branding and all our stuff. And that in, in one way I like it because you know exactly how much of that constituent you're getting, but I disagree with the fact that that constituent is the single and most important substance in an herb. To me, one of the, the, the big issues about whole foods is there's a lot of substances that contribute to the absorption, the, the effectiveness, the elimination, appropriate of that herb. And when you standardize on one or two constituents of an herb, all those other potentially beneficial uh, constituents aren't included in that. So that's the difference between a whole food and a refined substance. So you can take a whole food and make it into refined substance, often done. So what are some advantages of whole foods? Uh, really, there are fewer adverse effects, longer-term therapeutic effects. In other words, they, they tend to change the constitution um, so that the therapeutic effects will last longer. Often with refined substances, not always, but often um, when you're on a drug, you're on a drug, you know, there's a lot of drugs you're on for life. I mean, not an antibiotic, of course, you do it until the infection's gone. Um, and so, uh, and potentially, so longer-term therapeutic effects and potentially more beneficial results as they tend to affect the person as a whole as opposed to a specific symptom or disease. So I have a question here from Ralph. It says, so homeopathics and uh, Schleschler biochemy, which I'm not familiar with, are nature and refined. So I, here's the thing. I, homeopathics are absolutely, I believe, to be refined substances. But I'm going to tell you what. I'm taking it out of this, this question mark. Um, and, and I want to be honest here, just to be completely honest. 
homeopathics don't resonate with me. They, they never have, and I don't think they ever will. Not saying that I haven't seen them be effective, but I think different things resonate with different people, and it's just not one of those that resonates with me, and I'm just being honest about that. Uh, it doesn't mean I haven't used them, though, in California. I cannot use them. They're illegal for me as an acupuncturist to use homeopathics on my patients. Um, but here's the thing. If you look at what homeopathics are, they are refining on, maybe, uh, you know, what they say is on the energetics um, of an herb or a substance. And so I think that's different argument than the whole foods versus refined substances. So I'm going to take it out of this argument, but it's a good point to kind of bring up. So, yep. Disadvantage of the whole foods include a slower rate of healing, no financial subsidy by insurance companies. As we know, they can be quite expensive uh, and the risk of little or no therapeutic benefit. And I think where that risk of little or no therapeutic benefit comes in is this next bullet point that I'm going to talk about because these substances are generally available over the counter and without need of experimentation of, of evidence or support. Anyone can get them and there's a ton of incorrect at best or exploitive at worst information about these substances. When, when I teach my pharmacology class, there was always, always, and I, I taught this, I don't know, 30 times. There was always someone in the class at some point when I'm talking about drugs and someone would make a snide comment and say, yeah, well, those pharmaceutical companies are just ripping us off and they're just lying and stealing from us. And I'd say, yeah, you know, and you know who's even worse than pharmaceutical companies? They're all, and I'd, I'd whisper this, I'd lean in and I'd whisper, supplement companies. Because at least the pharmaceutical companies have to prove what they say. The proof might be up for debate, not arguing that, but they have to show evidence in order for them to say things. Supplement companies don't, at least not in California, not in the United States. And so they can say whatever they want, whenever they want. The only thing they can't do is say it cures a disease because then it goes under the FDA pharmaceutical regulation. So they can't say cure disease, but it can say things like benefits the heart and benefits the brain and things along those lines. And they can say that their substances include whatever they want to say. It doesn't have to be proven. It's really the wild west out there. And I, I have much more disdain over most uh, supplement companies over pharmaceutical companies. I'm not a fan of pharmaceutical com companies. I don't want to get that wrong. But I think the supplement companies are far worse because they don't have to prove anything. I shouldn't say prove anything. That's a little extremist. They, they don't have to prove much. You know, they don't have to show evidence for a lot of what they say. So the decision about which to use, refined substances or whole foods, is up to the individual. Some issues to consider include the severity of the disease, the consequences of improper treatment, availability of alternatives, and practitioner issues such as prescribing rights, biases, and malpractice concerns. You know, and uh, these play a big role. You know, I've seen this, you know, in my, in our profession, I can't tell you how many teachers I've had that said pharmaceuticals are bad, they're evil, they're, they're all these things. And no, they're not. The, the, they have side effects that could be really bad and you might want to avoid them for that reason. But in and of themselves, used properly without the side effects, they're, designed to be beneficial. They're not evil in and of themselves. And the people who make them, and um, maybe some of the ones who market it, but not the, you know, 
are, are not evil. They're there for a real good reason. And, and some of them may be on the market inappropriately. There's a lot of that sort of stuff. Don't have any issues with that. But there's nothing inherently wrong with pharmaceuticals. They're rough. They're tough. We talked about the side effects. Uh, I feel like I'm defending pharmaceuticals, which is not a position I feel very comfortable with. Here's, here's my bottom line. My bottom line is in all these things is I prefer to start with whole foods and herbs. That's what I prefer to start with. And I use extracts. I use full spectrum uh, granules. That's generally how I do my herbs or, or full spectrum uh, capsules. Um, and I say, you know, for most things, not everything, but for most things, try the herbs first. You have nothing to lose. If they work, they're way safer and they tend to do a lot for you, you know, a lot more for you in the long run than I think drugs do. But if they don't work and you have something serious, there's nothing wrong with a drug if you have to do it. And so just weigh the pros and cons. Be in the, I, I guess here's the, here's, the, here's the bottom line. When I was in Chinese medical school, I was always that, that really weird guy who was all into Western medicine. And then when I was in Western medical school, I was that far out, really trippy hippie guy who's into Chinese medicine. And me, I feel like I'm in the middle. I can see the benefits and the issues with both sides. And I think, you know, Chinese medicine is fantastic. And I think it works on most, if not the vast majority of things, but not everything. Like I say, if I'm in a car accident, I don't want the ambulance driver dropping me off at my acupuncturist's office. Go ahead, take me to the emergency room, save my life. I'm good with that. You know, there are reasons for, for Western medicine. I'm good with those. And the same token, I think Western medicine just gets a lot wrong and doesn't really know. I mean, I think they're, they're not in general super great at autoimmune diseases and a lot of chronic conditions. And so, you know, there's a lot that I think they overstep on. And so kind of in the middle of all these things. And that's where I am in this whole foods versus refined substances. I am absolutely pro whole foods. I want whole foods. I think they're way better as a, as a choice. But if you have to do refined substances, we can't all be perfect all the time. And that's, that's good. And let's not forget, there's the plain old human vice of greed to consider on both sides of this debate. Though in my mind, not to absolve pharmaceutical companies at all, there's far more lies and myth truths in the supplement industry all to take more money from uninformed individuals. So a uh, good question. Do you think the fear debate around drug-herb interactions is propagated by big pharma? No, I don't. I don't at all think that. Um, I do, I, what I think about drug-herb interactions, remember, this is my expertise. This is my book. I, I wrote a textbook on this stuff, so I, I know my drug-herb interactions really, really well. Where I think it comes from is the ignorance of medical doctors because medical doctors don't know about herbs. They're unknown, they're foreign, they're interfering with my freaking drugs. Why are you even thinking about taking these? Because it can only be bad. There's no good that can come from these if you're combining drugs and herbs. And the reason why they think that is they're flipping through their journals and there's the headlines that say this drug and that herb caused this condition. Well, it was in one or two people. Maybe it's valid, maybe it's not, but they no longer are like thinking individual drugs and individual herbs. They're thinking all drugs and all herbs. And I understand it because they're not reading the articles. They're flipping through them as they go, if they're even looking at a journal article. And so um, that's where I think it comes from. I don't think big pharma 
really has an issue with drug-drug interactions because they understand the nature of drug-drug interactions because they're exactly the same as drug-drug interactions. There's no difference between um, determining a drug-drug interaction and determining a drug-drug interaction. And so I, I don't think it's big pharma. They understand drug-drug interactions very well, and they understand that there are things you have to be cautious about and all of it. So I don't think this is a big pharma thing at all. And I'm not sure I believe in big pharma. I just think they're individual companies doing uh, individual things. So, uh, But, uh, again, not giving them a pass. There's issues and stuff, but, yeah. And the question uh, coming here is, I think they mess up on drug-drug interactions as well. And they very well may. They very well may. Um, at least, I don't know if they, the pharmaceutical companies, mess up on drug-drug interactions. I think individual medical doctors may mess up on those particularly. But uh, I don't know. You know, we'll, you know, I'm, I'm always open to new debates. I like these debates. So thank you for bringing this up. Yeah. All right. So... Which is where we come in, okay, after all that debate, us as practitioners, as professionals, or people who are truly curious about herbs and supplements, which should be everyone in my eyes. I can't imagine you listening to this unless you're one of these people. We're the ones to help our patients, our friends, and loved ones, and protect them from the many, many scams and misinformation out there. And there's a lot, and I think social media propagates them, and that's really where we come in. If only they would listen to us. <laughs> so, and with that as a precursor, let's continue our personal explorations and protect those around us by starting today's deep dive into Lian Chow or Forsythia fruit. So, Lian Chow, Lian Chow, that's first, uh, that's, uh, uh, first tone and fourth tone. Or no, excuse me, second tone and fourth tone. Lian Chow. Uh, for Scythia fruit. It's in the family Oleaceae. We're going to talk about them in just a minute. You are familiar with Oleaceae, even if you don't think you are. Species, the specific species is Forsythia suspensa, and then it has thumb, T-H-U-N-B, in parentheses, and vol, V-A-H-L. We've talked about these. These are the people who actually initially um, categorized it. So thumb, which is short for some biologists out there, um, was the one who originally categorized it and the vault kind of refined it, refined it. So that's usually what those mean. The medicinal part of this herb is the fruit, uh, and the English translation is simply forsythia fruit. Lian Chao is forsythia fruit. At least, according to the book, I'm, not, I'm still not entirely sure about that. Other names for this include weeping forsythia capsule, Easter tree, golden bells, which refers to the flowers, uh, and a lot of different Chinese names, Huang Hua Tiao, Huang Lian Tao Hua, Kong Chiao, Luo Chiao, Lian Ke, Huang Hua Ban, Yi Chao, or Strange Beauty, Jir, Jir, which means hub. That was actually from uh, the Divine Farmer's Interior Medica, the Shenang Ben Sao Jing. So, Jian Hua, or Orchid Flower, Shogun, or Broken Root, San Lian, or Three Honesties. I like that one. And then Japanese Rengyo. Again, I don't pronounce Japanese or Korean. Is um, Yonggyo. So that's a whole bunch of different names for this. Is this bush herb yellow in our gardens in the springtime? Yes. Yes, it is. 
All right, let's talk about the Oleaceae family. According to Britannica Encyclopedia, the Oleaceae family is the olive family. See, I told you you knew about the Oleaceae. Olive family, and also contains ashes, lilacs, jasmines, privets, tea olive, and today's genus of forsythia or golden bells. There are 24 genera and around 615 species of these woody plants, most are trees or shrubs, native to forested regions. They tend to, to grow in tropical and temperate areas, with warm temperate species being evergreen and colder north temperate zones containing deciduous species. The flowers in most members of the family have four sepals, four petals, two stamens, and two fused carpels that form a single superior ovary. So that's technical language. One of these days I'll get into the anatomy of a, of a flower and we'll, we'll talk about what all these mean. But for now, I'll put it away. The four petals are usually joined at the base to form a tube, and the leaves are opposite each other on the branch with few exceptions. That's our Oleaceae, Oleaceae family. So back to the fruit, uh, we have, remember, our three major textbooks that we like to look at. So Bensky et al. is, is, is one of those, and Chen Chen is another one. They say the dose is 6 to 15 grams. And our third usual text, Brandon Wiseman, says 10 to 15 grams, so a little bit higher dose. But they all cap it out at 15 grams. Categories, very similar. I, I, I like reading these categories because they have slight translational differences in them, and I, I, I'm always curious about how they do it. So Bensky and, and his team put this herb in the herbs that clear heat and resolve toxicity subcategory of herbs that clear heat. Chen and Chen say it is a heat-clearing and toxin-eliminating herb under heat-clearing herbs. And Brandon Wiseman similarly say it is a heat-clearing Toxin resolving medicinal under the heat clearing medicinals category. So I always love that Chen Chen says that you can see that they're close in their translations, and Chen Chen tends to say herb and Brown Wiseman say medicinal. And I actually think technically medicinal is probably co more correct because there are minerals and, and other things that are uh, animal products that are not necessarily herbs but are medicinals. So Bensky and their team say it is bitter, slightly acrid or spicy, slightly cold, and enters the heart, lung, and gallbladder channels. Chen and Chen agree, changing only that it is cool rather than slightly cold, and does not include slightly acrid. So they don't say it's, it's acrid at all. Y you know, it's an interesting thing because this is used a lot in colds, and, and one of our important aspects of, of, of colds is to open up uh, the, the exterior, which the acrid taste, the, the spicy taste does. So it's interesting that Chen Chen says it doesn't, it is not slightly acrid. Brandon Wiseman actually agrees with Chen Chen going back to slightly cold rather than cool, but does not include slightly acrid. So uh, interesting uh, because this is a key herb for that, for that idea of things. Uh, both Bensky and his team and Chen Chen say the original source of for this herb is the Shenan Ben Saojing or Divine Husbandman's classic of the Materia Medica, uh, written in the second century CE. We talk about this a lot because it's an important book in the history. It is the first uh, book in existence. There may have been others, but this is still around 
uh, talking about individual herbs. And so uh, the, basically this means it's amongst the oldest of herbs used. And that makes sense because it's a really important herb. Just talk a little bit about this category of herbs that this is in, the clear heat and resolved toxicity herbs. So Kranabensky and his team, heat in traditional Chinese medicine refers not only to febrile disorders or, or fever uh, uh, conditions or problems attributable to the invasion of pathogenic heat, but also to any condition that presents with heat signs, dry throat, red face, red eyes, dry stools, dark and scanty urine, yellow tongue coating, rapid pulse, and a sensation of warmth in the five centers, which are the soles of the feet, palms of the hand, and the sternum. Heat can be found in either the exterior or the interior. Exterior heat presents with fever, chills, fever and chills, headache, thirst, moderate sweating, and a floating rapid pulse. Interior heat presents with fever without chills, dry mouth, thirst, irritability, scanty and dark urine, yellow tongue coating, constipation or diarrhea, and abdominal distension. The herbs in this category are used to treat interior heat, that second uh, condition that we just talked about. They continue in traditional Chinese medicine, the word toxin or du has many meanings. In this subcategory, it refers to the fever and other adverse effects of infectious disease that make a, a patient clinically sick. For example, if a patient has a swelling that is hot, swollen, and painful, it is a hot swelling. If that same patient has a fever, is lethargic, and is sick, it is a hot, toxic swelling. This toxicity is attributed to the accumulation of pathogens, and thus, these herbs often have a dispersing property. From a modern biomedical perspective, various types of purulent infections, purulent means pus, uh, infections with pus. Uh, so various types of purulent infections, including sores, mastitis, which is an infected uh, nipple, pulmonary and breast abscesses and appendicitis, dysentery, and certain viral infections such as mumps and encephalitis all fall, in, fall under the rubric of heat toxin or rudu or fire toxins, huodu, in traditional Chinese medicine. So what does good quality look like? So according to Bensky, good quality yellow forsythia consists of old, thick, clean fruit without seeds. Good quality green forsythia consists of blackish green fruit that is completely closed. And we're gonna talk about these distinctions uh, between yellow and green, or yellow is sometimes just called old, lao, you know, lao uh, chow. So lao means old. Zhao and Chen, remember Zhao and Chen is, is another one of our textbooks that we use. It's the Chinese medicinal identification and illustrated approach. It's a really good text designed to look at how to determine high quality of the herbs. And they say high quality Qing or green chow is green and unopened, while high quality lao or old chow is relatively yellow and large with a thick shell. They should be oval to egg-shaped and slightly flat. Qing, or the green chow, is generally not cracked open and has a greenish-brown surface. Lao chow is cracked open at the ends or is cracked open into two halves 
and is yellowish or reddish brown on the outside. They should have a clean, a clear, fresh aroma and a bitter taste. One of the things I love about Zhao and Chen is they talk about the tastes. You know, it's not just and the smells and everything else. It's sort of called organoleptic uh, assessment, and they're they're really good at that. So a couple other books. Uh, well, now we're stepping away from the quality. Let's talk about its actions. What does it actually do in the body? So according to Bensky et al., Lian Chow uh, clears heat and resolves toxicity. For externally contracted wind heat with pronounced fever, slight chill, sore throat, and headache. And it reduces abscesses and dissipates clumps. For toxic clumps such as external sores, internal abscesses, scrofula, or throat painful obstruction. Brandon Wiseman has two functions as well. It clears heat and resolves toxins. So that may sound like two two functions, but they, they're included in one line. So clears heat and resolves toxins and disperses welling abscesses and binds, binds things. Chen Chen has a lot to say about the functions. Very similar to what happens, it goes a little bit more in depth. So clears heat, that's its first function. Exterior wind heat or early febrile disorders, bitter and cold, Liancho has ascending, floating, and dispersing functions to clear heat and eliminate toxins. It is commonly used to treat exterior wind heat or early stage febrile disorders. Interior heat affecting the heart and pericardium. Liancho also treats heat attacking the heart and pericardium that is causing high fever, irritability, and delirium. In severe cases, rising heart fire manifests in red, swollen eyes sore throat, and ulcers on the tongue. And it can also be used under the same function of clear heat for heat in the yin or nutritive level. Heat forces blood out of the vessels leading to subcutaneous bleeding, macula, and purpura. So macula are discolored spots and purpura are bigger, <laughs> are more purple and a little bit bigger, I think, than the macula. So that was the first function of clear heat. The second function they talk about is clears heat and eliminates toxins. And in this case, it suggests abscesses. Lian Chao is one of the most effective and commonly used herbs for clearing heat and eliminating toxins from both the interior and the exterior. Heat and toxins in the interior are characterized by sore throat, swelling, and intestinal and lung abscesses in various stages of development. Heat and toxins in the exterior are characterized by sores, lesions, ulcerations, lumps, nodules, and furuncles. Furuncles, if you're not familiar with it, are basically a series of abscesses, large abscesses, you know, or multiple abscesses connected to each other. And finally, the third uh, action from Chen Chen is it promotes urination. So we haven't heard that one before, it promotes urination. Zhao and Chen, which I find is very much in accordance with Brandon Wiseman, say it clears heat, resolves toxins, disperses swelling, and disperses binds. And Zhou Zhang, which is the translation of the Divine Farmers Materia Medica that I use, uh, says, so this is the older, the oldest of the actions of this herb. And, I, and I, I enjoy learning about it because sometimes it's really off and they put a lot of spiritual and emotional stuff in it. Not necessarily in this one. So... Uh, it, it mainly treats cold and heat, mouse fistulas. I'm not sure what a mouse fistula is. 
scrofulas, welling abscesses and swellings, malign sores, goiters or enlarged uh, thyroid glands and tumors, bound heat, and goo toxins. I'm not sure. The, the only word that I know of goo means ghosts. I'm not familiar with a ghost toxin. So I don't know. Remember goo, you know, there's different tone marks, and so it could be a completely different word. So I don't know exactly what a goo toxin is in this situation. Those are our Chinese medical actions. Preparations. There's many preparations for this, so, so of this herb and different ways to take it. So according to Bensky and their team, because this herb is mainly grown in the northern provinces of Shanxi, Henan, Shanxi, that's uh, interesting, Shanxi, and Shandong, it is often called northern forsythia or Beilian chow. Green forsythia, Qinglian chow, or forsythia with seeds, Daixinglian chow. These are the same thing. The seed capsules, which are harvested before they ripen in very early autumn, are parboiled and or steamed while retaining their green color. They are traditionally considered best for cooling heat and resolving toxicity, although some prefer them for all purposes. They may have a relatively high saponin content. Saponins are uh, chemical constituents that are, uh, you know, a lot of herbal uh, actions are attributed to. Yellow forsythia or Huanglian Chow or clean forsythia, Jinglian Chow. These are both the same. The ripened seed capsules harvested mid to late autumn have turned yellow and split. Traditionally, the seeds are removed. They're also called old forsythia or Lao Chow. Yellow forsythia is traditionally considered better for reducing boils and dispersing clumps. Another form of this is forsythia seeds, or Lian Chao Xin. The seeds without the capsules are bitter and cold. They clear heat and cool the blood. They're used when heat enters the pericardium, leading to impaired consciousness and delirious speech, and are often combined with other cooling hearts, quote-unquote hearts, like nelumbinus plumula, which is Lianzi's sheen, and unopened Ophiopagonus radix, or mymingle. Those are preparations. Western uses. Generally, it appears this herb is not used in Western medicine, even though it is quite important in Chinese medicine. Drugs.com says there is some evidence, though not strong evidence, this herb is antimicrobial, anti-cancer, antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, and anti-emetic. And we'll revisit some of these when we talk about science here. Lian Chao commentary, so commentary on this herb. Bensky and their team say the bitterness of Lian Chao drains fire and its coolness, coldness cools heat and its lightweight conducts pathogens outward, thereby enabling it to vent heat. Thus, it disperses heat from both the exterior and interior, particularly the heart and upper burner. Lian Chao is used to treat externally contracted wind heat or a warm pathogen disease entering the pericardium, causing irritability, fever, delirium, or rashes due to blood heat. The 12th century physician Zhang Yuan Su concisely summarized the actions of this herb in the book Pouch of Pearls, in Chinese Zhen Zhu Nang, written in 1186. And here's the quote. 
Lian Chao has three uses. One is to drain heat that has lodged in the heart channel. Second is to dispel various types of heat from the upper burner. As for the third, it is the sage-like herb for sores. Basic questions. This is the Wang, Wang uh, um, uh, Yellow Emperor's classic of internal questions. Uh, and this is one part of it called the Suwen or basic questions. Notes that all painful, itchy sores derive from the heart. Lian Chao excels at clearing heart fire and also encourage the, encourages the smooth flow of qi and blood. He disperses clumped blood and the accumulation of qi, thereby reducing swellings. Thus, it is used in treating toxic swollen sores, scrofula, and clumps such as swollen lymph nodes. It also facilitates urination and is used for aninuria, so the inability to urinate due to clumped heat or painful urinary dribbling. Continuing with this commentary, rectification of the media materia medica, or the Ben Sao Zheng Yi, written in 1914, so this is relatively modern, explains the reasoning underlying its functions. Lian Chao is bitter, thus it cools heat. Its shape is round and pointed, empty inside with a chamber, very much like the heart. Thus, it specifically cools heat in the heart patients. These are inherent natural characteristics, not forced or appended sophistry. Furthermore, all herbs which are light in weight and empty or soft inside must have opening, draining, disseminating, and unblocking functions. Thus, it can also disperse clumps while draining and transforming heat in the collateral channel. That's the quote from Rectification of Medium Materia Medica. Continuing with the commentary, Lian Chao is a cooling, toxicity-resolving herb that is too often overlooked in the context of phlegm. Despite its well-documented ability to disperse and penetrate, which has earned it the name of sage-like herb for sores, uh, this is from uh, this is a commentary from Changjia Shengyao. No, that's sorry, Changjia Shengyao is the translation is the Chinese for sage-like herb for sores. Sorry. Most modern textbooks mention that it can be used for dissipating nodules, but perhaps the only modern formula which relies on its light dispersing quality for treating hot phlegm is Preserve Harmony Pillar Bao He Wang. According to Materia Medica Medicinal Properties or the Yao Xing Ben Cao, circa 600, it also promotes urination and leads heart fire out through the urine, which again would facilitate its ability to eliminate phlegm. Because heat resulting from obstructed qi and blood under the skin can lead to phlegm heat and eventually toxic phlegm as the fluids from the blood and nutritive qi are boiled away, one should consider the use of Lian Chao in such cases, or indeed in any case of obstructed lung heat or heart fire affecting the fluids. That's our commentary. Let's compare this. There's one herb that is compared uh, in Bensky, and that's uh, Lanicerae floss or Jinyin Hua, which commonly used together, which we're about to hear. Both herbs are cooling and resolve toxicity, and both can guide heat to the surface while also cooling internal heat, and are thus often combined for these purposes. The differences are that Lanicerae floss, Jinyin Hua, tends to disperse surface heat. It is also sweet, and so its coldness does less harm to the stomach. Prosythia fructus Lian Chao, by contrast, has a strong heart fire cooling action. 
It also disperses chi that has stagnated at the blood level and treats painful urinary dribbling. There you go. So that was the comparison there. Now we get into uh, two, com two combinations with this herb. So with phaseoli semen or chershao dole, the anchao drains away heat, which is stuck in the heart channel and clears any heat from the upper burner. It also resolves toxicity and disperses clumps. We've been hearing that a lot today, which is good. Phaseoli semen, chershao dole, cools heat and promotes urination, disperses blood and reduces swelling. This combination of herbs clears fire from the heart channel and eliminates toxic damp heat. It is therefore good for treating jaundice from internal damp heat, painful urinary dribbling due to damp heat pouring downward, and gynecological disorders such as pelvic inflammatory disease or postpartum fever. Our second combination is with Gardenia fructus or jirdze. Seeking accuracy in the Materia Medica, or the Bensao Chou Zhen, written in 1773, observes, Lian Chao is bitter and slightly cold, light in weight, and floating. Although the textbooks state that it drains constrained fire in the six stages, yet, as a result of its floating, light, clearing properties, it is first and foremost an important herb for draining the heart. The heart is the master of fire, therefore if the heart is cooled, all the other organs are cooled. Jirdza is bitter, cold, drains, and directs downward. It excels at draining fire and heat, cooling the blood and resolving toxicity. It treats constrained fire throughout the three burners. The two herbs join forces to cool the heart, expel irritation, cool the blood, and resolve toxicity, and are especially effective in treating warm, hot pathogens entering the pericardium and leading to high fever, impaired consciousness, and restless irritability. They also treat heat remaining in the heart channel, leading to sores in the mouth or on the tongue, dark, scanty urine, and urinary discomfort. They have a weaker dispersing action than other combinations that resolve toxicity, but can still be used for swollen toxic sores because of their strong ability to clear blood heat and resolve toxicity. That is our combinations. Let's talk about the contents or the constituents of Lian Chao. And there's a lot of them. I'm not going to get into all of them. I have a list of them here. Um, so if you want to take a look, you can on, on the website. But uh, there's a lot of volatile oils here. Uh, we don't need to go into all of them. Um, pinene and a lot of derivatives are seem to be some of the main ones there. There are phenylethanol glycosides. Uh, and the big ones here are forsythicide, A, B, C, D, and E, suspensicide, uh, forsythol. Uh, those are all named after this, this herb. So that usually means that these are important for this herb and its herb's functions. And in fact, according to one of the studies by Dong et al., um, these are the major bioactive constituents of forsythia fructus, the verified anti-inflammatory, antioxidant, antibacterial, and antiviral effects. So these Phenylethanol glycosides are important. It also has ethocyclohexanol gly glycosides. It has lignanes, which are, are kind of common. Uh, and one of them is filarin, which is also named forsythin. So again, forsythia is, is derived from that. Uh, there are triterpenes, or triterpenes, I should say. I think there's 
doesn't need a uh, check that. Uh, and there's these are uh, a lot of acids and stuff. Again, lots of interesting stuff. And coumarines. Uh, again, coumarins are generally blood thinners, uh, though I'm not sure these have that that property. Uh, but that's these are all parts of the contents of this. One of the ones that that comes up quite a bit when you're reading the scientific literature, which I don't see on this list, is as uh, rutin R U T I N, and so that's something to kind of keep in mind that that's often brought up as an issue. I think both with side effects and with potentially some of the the effects of this herb. So with that, let's get into the science of this herb. Chen and Chen say this herb has antibiotic effects based on bench research of the essential oil, anti-inflammatory effects based on a guinea pig study, both hyper and hypotensive effects. In other words, it both raises and lowers blood pressure depending on different things. Basically, if the, if the uh, mouse, this is a mouse study, I, I, I remember if the mouse was stressed, it caused hypertension a raise in, in, in the blood pressure, and if it was normal, it, it lowered blood pressure. It's hepatoprotective, it protects the liver. Antipyretic, it lowers fever. Antiemetic, it prevents vomiting. And diuretic effects, the diuretic promotes urination, which given that that's one of its functions, uh, certainly makes a lot of sense. And then we have this, uh, this uh, review study by Dong and his team, his or her team, uh, a review of the herb Lianchel has the following effects, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, antiviral, antioxidant, neuroprotective, so it protects the nerves, anti-tumor, hepatoprotective, so as we mentioned, uh, protects the liver, cardioprotective, protects the heart, and in mice, it's anti-emetic, anti-obesity, that's an interesting function, and also is anti-adrogenic alopecia activity. In other words, this can help balding. Uh, alopecia is balding, and androgenic alopecia is, is sort of the standard male pattern baldness, so it's against that. And it also has immune regulation, so it helps the immune system as well. So interesting. Well, I don't think any of this strong evidence, but definitely interesting evidence. It, it's pointing somewhere, but it's not there yet. There was one interesting study by Wong and their team, and it just came out last year, I compared green forsythia, Qing Lian Chao, with old or what they called ripe forsythia, Lao Chao. So when you're talking about this green versus yellow or old forsythia, this is a study that looked at them. And they concluded in this study a rat model of bile duct ligation where they actually stop, they cut the bile duct and that induced cholestasis or gallstones, you know, gallstones, was used to compare the differences in their effects. Uh, the, the ripe forsythia, or the, the lao chow, the old forsythia, was found to have better results than the green forsythia in addressing toxic bile acids, accumulation, and related pathological conditions caused by the ligation of the bile duct. The underlying mechanism may be related to the interventions of gut macro, microbiota. In other words, they're saying that it changes the, 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 um, the flora in the, in the gut. The results of the present study suggest that the better detoxifying effect of the old forsythia than the green forsythia may be indirectly exerted through the regulation of gut mi microbiota and thus the improvement of bile acid metabolism. Because those microbiota do 
can metabolize the bile acid. So interesting to say, I don't know how relevant it is to how we use the herb, but I just was, we rarely see studies like this where they can compare different forms of the same herb. So I, I, I wanted to throw it in there and talk about it briefly. That may not have been all that brief. Let's continue. Drug-herb interactions, a result for drug-herb interactions with the Anchal yielded no results. There is one study that may have shown some cytochrome P450 interactions in specific content extracts in mice. Overall, not convincing to show interactions or really even potential interactions in humans. So one of the issues that I have when I look up cytochrome P450 and, and other drug-herb interaction issues, is it looking at a specific constituent of the herb or is it looking at the whole herb? This was a specific constituent. I don't think that that necessarily means anything and this was also mice. I like to look at human stuff as much as possible. So really not a lot of indication. And they were not commonly used cytochrome P450 uh, isozymes. So I, I don't think this was relevant for as a drug herb interaction. Uh, similarly, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook uh, by Gardner and McGuffin puts this herb in interaction class A, herbs for which no clinically relevant interactions are expected. So pretty darn safe as far as drug herb interactions are concerned. However, there are some concerns. Bensky and his team say under cautions and contraindications, within the normal dosage range, no side effects are to be expected. There has been one report of photodermatitis. Um, that is skin inflammation due to light. Uh, traced back to this herb with erythema or redness and papular raised rashes on skin areas that are exposed to the light. They continue with a traditional contraindication, clearing with no tonifying properties, should not be taken after perforation of abscesses or sores, nor should it be taken if heat is due to deficiency. Bitterness and coldness will obstruct the stomach. Overconsumption will reduce the appetite, and the unchow should not be taken if the spleen and stomach are weak with loose stools. And this comes from harm and benefit in the Materia Medica of the Bensal High Lee, uh, uh, written in 1893. So one of the questions, do you think with all the actions in the heart that it could be, it could dangerously lower blood pressure? I think, you know, some of the evidence that I saw on blood pressure, those were in mice. So I don't think there's a lot of evidence that it does a lot with blood pressure in humans at all. And since we're Usually looking for it, it's an easy thing to find in an experiment. The fact that we didn't see any human and, and really kind of only marginalized mice, I don't think it has much of an effect on, on, on blood pressure in general. So I don't think it, it's something that I'd be worried about dangerously lowering blood pressure. And since it was in those mice, it was both hypertensive and hypotensive. I feel like if it does have an effect on blood pressure, it's going to be more in the regulatory side of things rather than lowering it or, or raising it hugely. So I, I wouldn't be worried about dangerously low blood pressure in this herb at all. Yeah. Thank you, though. That's a good question. Um, more concerns. Uh, Bensky continues under the heading of toxicity. Within the normal dosage range, no side effects are to be expected. One, oh, sorry. That's just a, I'm just rereading. No, that's, oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, yes, that was just a repeat in the book. Okay, sorry about that. Within the normal dosage range, no side effects are to be expected. One case of photodermatitis following the application of prescription containing forsythia frucus has been reported 
Uh, and we've talked about it as erythema, um, redness, papular rashes on skin areas exposed to light, including the neck area and the forelimbs by repeated medication. Lian Chow could be traced back as the agent for this effect. Could be, uh, though, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the books kind of refer back to this. So I think it's definitely something to be considered. Chen Chen says, usually say li use Lian Chow with caution for patients experiencing diarrhea or sores that are neither red nor painful. Brent Wiseman has a warning for this herb. Use with care in vacuity cold patterns. Do not use for ruptured, flat, or welling abscesses exuding clear pus in patients suffering from qi vacuity. Gardner and McGuffin, that's that, um, uh, the American Herbal Products Association's Botanical Safety Handbook. Ultimately, uh, report on that photodermatitis case that we've talked about, but ultimately puts this herb in the safest category it has, safety class one. That's our herb. We got through it all. So summary, as a summary, we started our podcast today with a discussion of whole foods versus refined substances. It got a little rise out of everybody, which is great. It always tends to do that. I think it's an important uh, thing to think about. And then we discussed Lian Chao, one of the most important herbs in Chinese medicine. One source called it one of the 50 foundational herbs of Chinese medicine. Uh, along the way, we answered our standard questions. What does it do? How is it prepared? What is its history? What does the science say, and are there any concerns? Basically, it is a very useful herb with minimal concerns. However, science is still catching up with demonstrating its strengths. And I just want to say that, to me, in my mind, one of its biggest strengths, and in, in the way we often use it, and, and I'm, I'm going to put this in Western medical terms, but I think it's, it's useful. We think of it as um, for colds, especially um, it can be used for any type of cold, but especially warm colds. We, you know, we talk about uh, wind heat attacks um, versus wind cold and wind damp or wind dry attacks. This is very good for wind heat, uh, wind heat attacks because it's cooling. And I feel like it has antiviral properties when I, when I use it in my prescriptions. And so I think of it as kind of an antiviral, one of the antiviral herbs, which I think a, a lot in this class of clear heat and resolved toxicity tend to be. Overall, another interesting look at a Chinese herb. On our next episode, we will be looking at another Chinese formula from the formulas that moisten dryness and transform phlegm subcategory of formulas. Fritillaria and trichosanthus fruit powder or beimu gua lo san. So beimu gua lo san. This is a useful formula that does two almost opposite things, moisten dryness and transform phlegm. And as usual, we will be exploring something a little different. Please join us for the next episode where we'll find out how a formula can accomplish two opposite goals and why we would want one to. Thank you very much for listening. If you like this podcast, please do us a humongous favor. Give us a five-star rating in your favorite podcast app. We would really appreciate it, and thank you in advance. And remember, you can get this course as continuing education and the special, my favorite course, Why Not How Do Herbs Work, at www.integratedmedicinecouncil.org. That's Integrated Medicine Council, C-O-U-N-C-I-L.org. And, of course, you can always get in touch with me at drgreg at spurbsherbs.com or at our website, www.spurbsherbs.org.
Tom. Uh, that's S P E R B S H E R B S dot com. Business as usual. And thanks for the audience. The proceeding was presented by Dr. Greg Sperber. We would like to thank Janelle for all her support and everybody else who contributed to this program. Janelle. Janelle. Timothy, Timothy Dobbins, Dobbins. Roger Campbell.